Welcome into the Basketball Index podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and we've had a bit of a break. We had some technical difficulties with the podcast, but hopefully uh, that will be behind us and this episode will go up without a hitch because it's been, I don't know, it's been like almost like two months since the last podcast. It came at a terrible time. We didn't get to talk about the Dame trade, the Drew Holiday trade, the James Harden trade even. Those were all really exciting. But today, I wanted to talk about the Bulls. I wanted to talk about stripping the Bulls for parts because it looks like they're on the cusp of blowing things up. They were under 500 last year. They are 4-8 and eight to start the year. Slow start. Things do not look good. A trade is probably not imminent just because you have to wait until like partway through December for all of like contracts you've signed and like the off season stuff to become tradable things of that nature. So it's like not going to happen tomorrow, but I think we should start looking because, you know, if you're a contending team, it's never too early to think about how you could be upgrading your roster for the playoffs. So the bulls, I think are going to blow things up soon. And on the bright side, they do have several useful players that can be moved for draft assets And if you are a contending team, this is actually, I wrote a companion article. So there'll be this podcast. I don't know what's going to go up first, but the article is written. So there's an article if you want it in written form, if you want to go over. Basically, before when I would do shows, I would end up writing like three pages worth of notes. So I was like, well, I might as well just form it into an article for if people don't like listening, they can read. And then if you've listened, but you want to go back and maybe find a detail really quickly, it would just be easier to be an article form than scrubbing through a podcast episode. So if you want to support the podcast, obviously listen to the show, subscribe, uh, tell your friends, and also watch or read the article because I wrote that as well. Um, but let's look at what a contending team could kind of pick over this Bulls team for and could grab. So let's start with DeMar Rosen. He is in his age 34 season, and he is on an expiring deal for about $29 million. So not crazy money. Uh, definitely a significant contract, but but nothing that will break the bank or that is too hard to trade for. Because again, for most NBA trades, you have to have the salaries match or be close to matching or for that to go through. Uh, so that's not impossible. $29 million, not crazy. So DeMar won't really be expensive to obtain in terms of like draft pick compensation or whatever a team has to give up because DeMar is pretty old. He's 34 and he is on that expiring contract. So more of a rental situation where, again, you could retain him, but you know, he is starting to enter the point, like I always talk about it, age 35 is kind of the cliff for productive players. After that, it's hard to be a needle mover. There are Hall of Famers that do buck that trend, but 35 is kind of the end for most guys. And the issue with DeMar is his skill set is extremely non-optimal for not being a lead guy. Like DeMar's skill set is to be the number one or number two option. The problem with him has always been most of the other number one or number two options in the league have been better than him throughout his career. That's just sort of an unfortunate thing where he's a pretty good player, but his skill set is an on-ball player, and he doesn't provide a lot off-ball. So last year, he had a C in off-ball gravity compared to guys that just played a 1,000 minutes, so guys that played a fair amount. That's not great. He really doesn't attempt three-pointers at any real rate. I think he takes like two or two and a half a game. So you're not getting a ton of value there. Historically, he has not been a great defender. So I think if you go and you get him, 
Again, not going to be super expensive because of his situation, but he could be like a super six man. I could see that being a, a value add to a team that maybe just doesn't have a ton of offensive punch that could be valuable. And he is one of the best mid-range shooters in the league, right? He finishes effectively. He was really good last year getting to and finishing at the rim, but no real three-point shot, not a defender. In terms of playmaking for on-ball guys, it's like average where kind of leaves something to be desired. You don't love that. So I could see if a player that provides scoring punch gets injured, I could see DeMar being a, a good option for a team to sort of fill in one-year rental. This probably should be a good time. I'm kind of sick. It's probably you can hear it in the episode, I would imagine. So uh, apologize for that, but uh, we're already halfway through this episode. So we're just going to keep on trucking. Um, yeah, that's Demar. Not an expensive option. I think that's why. Like, I think historically he hasn't been a super sexy guy to trade for, but he's kind of at the end of it of being like an on-ball primary scorer, right? Age thirty-four season. But if the Bulls are going to blow things up, he is a guy where I would be interested if I was a bit of a more like defensive-oriented team. So. We'll see. Uh, after that, Zach Levine, he is kind of the opposite. Age 28 in the middle of his prime, but a huge contract. Four years, $43 million average annual value. So that is huge money. But Levine is kind of the opposite of DeRozan in terms of fit, where DeRozan is an on-ball guy, but Levine very much combo, right? He is for me, ideal skill set for a third best player on a championship team offensively. He has been 98th percentile or higher the last three years in our off-ball shot making. And again, off-ball shot making adjusts for shot difficulty. So in terms of especially being able to shoot the three, but you know, cutting, shooting the three, really anything that's like an assisted bucket has been pretty much tops in the league so that's really valuable because you can bring him in and he can play around other players where and you can give him the ball and he can score in isolation right that's not really an issue he has that on ball off ball value but there's just so many guys in the league where maybe not so many but there's a certain amount of guys in the league where they're just not as valuable because they demar is a great example of this they need the ball to be effective. Levine does not. He can be effective with the ball, but that ability to score on off ball is really, really valuable. And I think it makes it so we can plug into pretty much most, most teams in the league. So uh, really good three-point shooter, 38% for his career, does it on really high volume over seven attempts last, uh, last year per game. So big-time spacer, big-time shooter. Uh, the downside is not really defender and not much of a passer, so he is is really a scoring option. But he's a really good scoring option, really efficient. Like I think if you swapped him and Jalen Brown, I think we would look at Zach Levine a lot differently because when the defense is slanted the other way and he catches the ball and he attacks a closeout or whatever it is, like there's just there's it's it, that play's done. Those are points. There's. There's not a real way to stop him because he's also a super athlete where like he's fighting against gravity and winning sometimes. So Zach Levine, I really, really like the problem with him is he's getting paid like a top 20 guy and he's realistically like a top 40 guy. Cause again, the playmaking's not really there. The defense, not so much, but is a super scorer. So times where, you know, you see it all the time where they will be really good one, two tandems. And then, 
you know, they'll be surrounded by talent, but things can get a little flat. Things can get a little stagnant. You always need a spark in basketball. And Zach Levine can provide that spark as well. Again, like I said multiple times, is a, a top tier off ball player, off ball scorer. So uh, DeRozan, kind of the opposite of like a, he's more of like your, I guess he would be your six man. Because if you're a really good team, you're not going to get DeMar and be like, well, this is our best player because obviously you wouldn't be that good of a team. So he would be kind of your super six man. And then Levine is more you can plug into the starting lineup. And I think it works more smoothly. But the difference is, again, Levine, four years left on that deal, counting this year at 43 million. So that's huge money. That's going to be the big obstacle in terms of trading for him. But uh, A, in finishing talent last year, uh, B-plus mid-range and A-minus three-point shooting talent, so really, really good score. But the uh, the playmaking was a D-minus, and again, this is compared to on-ball players that played a 1,000 minutes. So um, the scoring at three levels is really good, but the playmaking, not so much. Uh, moving on, Alex Caruso. Uh, this is, I would say Alex Cruz is probably my favorite player in the league. So I, I try not to be biased here, but, uh, watching him on the Lakers win a championship be a, well, you know, at that point we didn't know. It was just like, wow, this guy's flying around making a lot of plays. Now we know is a generational perimeter defensive player. Like he's probably has a high likelihood of going down as the best perimeter defender of the 2020s. I know it's still early. It's only 2023, but he's 29. Uh, he's got two years left on his deal, including this year, at only $9 million, uh, in terms of average on that contract. So bargain basement prices for a generational defender who, I mean, since 2020 has been extremely elite. He posted the second best D-LeBron, which is our overall defensive impact, over our 10-year database last year. Second best, again, only trailing 2015 Tony Allen among guards. So this is as good as you can be. He is the best perimeter defender in the league right now. I don't really think it's that close. And just a wrecking ball of a player because... So we've talked about offensive guys with Lamar and Levine. So basically when you build a team, you're going to have your top two or three players. Generally, they're going to be very good at scoring. And then you need one to two, maybe even three guys that can affect the game that are not scorers. They need to be effective in other ways, most commonly uh, providing spacing. Where like I understand scoring is, is a part of shooting, but if you're like a really good spot up guy, that that gravity you bring can be your value. It doesn't you always have to be points, uh, you know, with the ball in your hand, but that gravity is valuable. Uh, if you're a really great perimeter defender, if you can generate turnovers, if you're a fantastic rim protector, if you're a devastating offensive rebounder. Like when I think of Alex Caruso, I think of he can affect the game in really serious ways. He can take over quarters without scoring. And so that's really, really valuable because when you combine that with high-end offensive players that can take over quarters by scoring, all of a sudden you can get that crazy, you know, third quarter push where you can just put the game out of reach because two or three of your players went supernova and all of a sudden it's a 25 point game going into the fourth quarter and things are just sort of out of reach so Alex Caruso is a hyper elite defender for his generation not just right now like right now he just is the best perimeter guy in the league he was first in defensive playmaking last year which is your steals, your blocks, your deflections, and your offensive fouls drawn. So think stocks, but even better uh, as a stat. 
and he was top 10 in perimeter isolation defense, ball screen navigation, and matchup difficulty. So basically, defending on the perimeter, whether there was a screen or there was not, and then in terms of who he was guarding, again, top 10 and just drawing the most difficult matchups in the league. So he is an unbelievable defensive player that pops in every single one of our metrics and is making $9 million a year. This contract makes no sense. When he signed this contract, it made no sense. Uh, that the Lakers didn't retain him made no sense. <laughs> they paid THT $10 million a year <laughs> instead of paying Alex Crusoe $9 million a year. Real head-scratcher at the time. Uh, on offense, Crusoe is a negative, but he is aware of his limitations. He can handle the ball some. He's a pretty good extra passer. He's a good cutter. So he can... He can limit his downsides on offense, which I think is really important because there's a guy like Dylan Brooks where I always wondered, like, does Dylan Brooks know that he is hurting the team offensively? I know historically he's been bad. I know he got off to a very hot start this year, but that's probably going to cool down because we have, like, I don't know, like a seven-year sample of him not being great at shooting. But, you know, for the first 10 games he has been, but we'll worry about that another time. Uh, Caruso knows his job is not to score and he knows he is not a great scorer so there just aren't a lot of like wasted possessions with him throwing the ball at the hoop so that is valuable i think he is the most realistic option for a contending team to make a move this year at the deadline or prior to the deadline and get pushed over the top right like moves at the deadline they work sometimes they don't work other times i think caruso is one of those guys where i would put my chips in because he can really make a difference for a team so caruso very very valuable like i said pops in all of our defensive metrics and is really just fantastic across the board defensively last guy i want to touch on is patrick williams patrick williams is a intriguing three and d player who is young. I think he's 22 years old. He is on the... So he came into the league super young, right? That means he came in his age 19 season. This is the fourth year of his uh, career. He's going to be a restricted free agent. So he could be a rental. You could retain him because, again, he's restricted. He's kind of an intriguing 3 and D player because he has legit wing stopper size. He's 6'7". He's a really good athlete for being 6'7". So legit wing stopper. Because like a lot of the times are really good perimeter defenders. Like Caruso is a good example of this. He's like 6'5". And there'll be guys that are like 6'4", 6'5". And they'll be pretty good athletes. And, you know, they'll scrap and they'll try to fight. But it's hard when you're trying to guard the LeBrons, the Durants, the Jimmy Butlers of the world because they just have so much size on you. If you acquire a player like Patrick Williams, he has the size to hold up to that, right? And he also has the athleticism to hang with those guys. So that is half of the equation, right? That's the defense. And then offensively, he's not been a guy that's taken a lot of threes throughout his career, but he has been really effective. Our catch and shoot, three-point shot making, which adjusts for difficulty. He had an A last season, only three and a half attempts per game, so not crazy volume, but enough to where it seems viable. And like I said, throughout his career, this is year four, the volume's never been high, but the percentages have always been good. So I think that's 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 what you need. You don't really need, when you have a plus defender, right, you don't need him to be lights out shooting, right? There really aren't that many guys in the league that honestly do that. But Patrick Williams, I think, is a legit wing stopper, 3 and D player who, the contract, again, not big, one year, $10 million. And uh, I don't know if they'd want to part with him because he is such a young player, but he was a super high pick. He was a lottery pick. And I think it's a little disappointing when your lottery pick just turns out to be a, a 3 and D guy who doesn't seem to be a big scorer, right? I think you had 
probably some some bigger dreams for him when when the Bulls selected him. But it seems like this is what he is, and uh, seems to be a, a valuable player, a, a rotation player that I think would play on most teams. And I think there's some real value in that. I think this could be more of like an under the radar move if you acquire this guy, where he can really give you um, some pop to your to your depth on your team. So. That was stripping the bulls for parts. That was breaking down what DeMar DeRozan brings to the table, Zach Levine, Alex Caruso, and Patrick Williams. You could acquire other players on the team. I think these are the guys that are the most interesting. I think like Vooch is a guy. He's a center. He can shoot at some. He's never been a great defender, but he can rebound. He's sort of like Valanchunas in my mind where it's like, they're not going to give you the rim protection numbers, but they give you some offense and they can stretch it a little bit. There's a rebounding component. I don't know how valuable those players really are. He also gets paid like a fair chunk of change. So that's another guy you could try to acquire. I think that would be a player that the Bulls probably would like to move. Andre Drummond's another guy where, you know, as a backup big, he's pretty good, right? There's some defensive playmaking there. There's a lot of rebounding. You know, he's not the greatest player in the world, but if he's your backup big, like if he can just give your center 10 minutes, right, that that can be valuable. So um, yeah, that's stripping the Bulls for parts. And uh, is there anything else I want to touch on before I get out of here, um, big things coming to the site. Um, I don't know if we can announce them yet, but we are going to have big changes to the player profiles. That will be really exciting. We have a whole lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that will eventually lead to new projects. So uh, the the Basketball Index headquarters has been a clamor <laughs> with talking about lots of things. Um, real quick, I guess I'll just touch on Dame Trade. Was really excited about that. I am not worried. I know the Bucks have had, uh, you know, trying to figure things out here early in the season. Not super worried about them. The Boston Celtics then acquiring Drew Holiday. I really, really like that move. I thought that made a lot of sense for them and kind of slots everybody down where I think Tatum's their best player. I think Holiday's probably their second best player. Then Jalen Brown's third, and then Porzingis is fourth. And it's like, okay, all of a sudden you have like Jalen Brown is your third best player. Like, that's oh, a pretty good team. And then Porzingis is your fourth. If you can stay healthy. I don't know. Derek, uh, Derek White's in there too. Holy crap. That team is really got an impressive top five. Also, Al Horford's still there. So I really like what they're doing. And then the Harden trade, I know it's really not going well right now, but I like the move for the Clippers because they didn't give up a ton in terms of assets and they get back a player where they obviously needed ball handling. They acquired Russ at the end of the year. That seemed to fit pretty well. But going into this year, that's a lot of responsibility on Russ's shoulders, who is still a productive player whose playmaking obviously adds value to teams still. Other than that, defensively, I don't really know. Scoring-wise, it's getting pretty rough there, efficiency-wise for him. But I like bringing in Harden to where you don't really want to have all of your eggs in the Russell Westbrook basket at this point in terms of like your point guard play. I think the concern normally would be is when like your team is older like this, you're concerned about the defense, but you don't really have those issues because obviously Kawhi and Paul George plus defenders, uh, and then you know when they really want to be can really turn it up, and you still get uh, PJ comes over in the trade. He's a good defender. They retain Terrence Mann. He's a good defender. Like they're not 
they're not like zoo and plumley like that's that's fine at center serviceable it's not a lot of investment there uh i saw news that daniel tice might be heading there after a buyout so there's still some depth on the team i know they're still working things out but i really like the idea of the trade we we don't want to do and this is a very small sample uh, obviously not looking good so far, but I'm still, I did a whole podcast and I think it's just lost to time. I don't know where it went, <laughs> um, but I like Harden in terms of the additional playmaking because for even like the the rigidity sometimes in Harden's game in, in terms of how he likes to play that, I mean, he led the league in assists last year. Like I'm not a, those aren't the type of headline stats I normally talk about, but if you're leading the league in assists, like that is uh, some kind of playmaking value. So I I say you know wait and see on the Clippers because there's a fair amount of talent on that team. To I mean they're not they're not this bad, right? I think they're like zero and four since they got Harden. They're obviously not that bad of a team, but uh, we will see. I'm interested to see how that plays out. But that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. We talked bowls, we talked a little bit of trades, and hopefully the podcast will be back in regularity. You know, two episodes a week like we had been doing for a long time. Uh, and excited to be back on here talking with you guys. All right. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Taylor Metrics, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index podcast.